This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here return from Guadalajara, Mexico, our chief critic, Richard Lawson. Hola. And on the West Coast, we have our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hola. And because it's mid-March and it's time to start looking ahead, you know who's joining us. It's Joe Reed. Hi, everybody. Joe, you are the host of the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, which is not why we invited you, but uh, partly why we invited you, I guess, because it is another delightful Oscar podcast everyone should listen to. Thank you. Um, But you are our regular soothsayer of what's coming ahead in the award (laughs) season. You you put it on an Excel spreadsheet so we all know what's coming. So uh, we need you here to guide us in what's to come in the year ahead. I feel like I'm once we get to that point in the Oscar season where I'm just like, I want to talk about anything but this year's movies, <laughs> that's when I start making my next year's movies spreadsheet. That's when I know. It's like I stick my sort of finger out the window and just like, yep, yep, the winds are changing. And <laughs> like Mary Poppins is time to leave again. Time to, yeah, Mary Poppins goes away and Mr. Rogers, uh, Tom Hanks <laughs> is Mr. Rogers, comes walking. Yeah, it's like if you looked at my Google search history, my first search of like, What's at Cannes in 2019 is like the day after the yep. Golden Globes because I'm like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when does this change? It's time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Before we get started with our uh, grand Oscar predictions, Richard, I did want to catch up on your experience in Mexico since you had like a pretty big adventure serving on this film festival jury. Yeah, I was on the jury at the Guadalajara International Film Festival, the 34th edition. It's the biggest film festival in Latin America and primarily um, deals with Ibero-American films, so Spanish and Portuguese from either Latin America or um, Spain or Portugal. You know, it was really an amazing experience to see all these like cool young kids from Guadalajara out. Oh, I was on the jury for the kind of queer section. So there were a lot of events for that. And, um, and, and it was just, you know, I just saw a film community I had never seen before. And uh, it was really fun. And the movies were really good. And I saw one movie that I think could be like top 10 list material for me uh, oh. for 2019 if it comes out in the States. Um, a movie called The Ground Beneath My Feet, which is from Austria. Uh, and it's sort of like if Tony Erdman was a psychological thriller about a a woman and her sister rather than a woman and her father. You got me. So you've already sold me. Keep an eye out for that. <laughs> and if anyone listening has, you know, is nearby or 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 you know wants to go see a bunch of really interesting, uh, particularly um, Spanish and Portuguese language films, make a pilgrimage in March next year to the Gua- Guadalajara Film Festival. It's great. The city's great. Um, yeah, it was a wonderful time. Well, we're glad to have you back. It's a, your Instagrams were extremely envy-inducing. It looked beautiful. <laughs> it was oh, it was also like very warm, which was quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, all right. So that's, that's something to look forward to next year in addition to a whole bunch of movies. Joe, I'm sorry in advance. I'm going to start calling this the 2020 Oscars. I know I, it drives I've, you crazy. You know what? I've, I've resigned myself to it. Whatever. The, the SEO reality comes to it. Yeah. So we want to look we want to look at the movies that are ahead in 2019. But before we do that, we do have to look back because this <laughs> is something we do every year where we make foolhardy predictions of the Oscar year to come. And uh, we have last year's predictions on audio to reflect back at us. Um, before we start listening to actual clips, I just wanted to say we did do a lot better at predicting the titles that were going to come up than we did the year before. I kind of kept track of the movies we did not mention once. Uh, we never mentioned Green Book, which was the best picture winner. But Yikes. as far as I know, no one knew existed before the TIFF lineup. Like, this wasn't on any of our radars, right? Yeah, I didn't... I Even, like, the trailer, I feel like, dropped right before Toronto, and that was the first I had ever heard of that movie. Sorry, what along. movie are you guys talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the other titles we didn't mention were Black Klansmen, which again I think didn't we didn't have on our radars until Can uh, First Reformed and The Wife, which were out there and had played at TIFF the year before, and yeah. I think that tells you something about how sometimes an Oscar trajectory is not what you think, and a movie can hang around for a while and really make an impact. Uh, and the last major one was The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which was a, another Netflix thing. I think for a while we thought it was a TV show. Yeah, that I was going to say this, this time last year we all assumed it was the, a TV miniseries. Yeah, so yeah. I'll give us I'll give us a pat on the back for that. Uh, we did talk about a lot of titles that are coming out this year, which is interesting, and again tells you how hard it is to predict things in advance. Uh, everything from Triple Frontier, which is on Netflix now, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, which is coming later this year. Probably a lot of stuff we'll eventually talk about. But overall, I think we did pretty good. So uh, pat on the back before we get into the audio evidence of all the things we got wrong. Yeah, <laughs> this always feels like uh, I'm I'm a, p- a puppy being. Uh, house trained, and <laughs> this is the part where you sort of like rub my nose in what <laughs> what I did not do right in the living room or whatever. Well, why don't we start actually with something we did do right at the beginning of uh, when we started talking about 2018 movies. We talked about how we hadn't really discussed Get Out seriously the year before, so we started by taking very seriously Black Panther. So we can listen to what we said about that. If you know a movie has connected with people, that's so much better than like thinking a movie will connect with people, which is why I feel like Black Panther, if not to be a front runner, but like Black Panther as a nominee feels like a really good call right now. Good job, Joe. Well, I got one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Part of it that I didn't clip that I want to also point out, Joanna said a costume nomination for Ruth Carter was a really good bet. Yeah, that's Uh, a good call. And she won the Oscar. So good job, Joanna. Thanks, guys. That's when she started (laughs) laminating her speech on the card was when she heard Joanna... (laughs) I mean, notorious, notorious bellwether, Joanna Robinson. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have to say, by the way, I was at the opening night party for the Guadalajara International Film Festival, and a young man with a camera came up and said, "Can I take your picture? I love Little Gold Men." Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wow. awesome. We've got reach. Meanwhile, when I was at South by Southwest Film Festival, a couple people came up and talked to me about Little Gold Men, but more people came up to talk to me about Richard's Cats on Twitter. (laughs) This is a true fact. Yeah, you've got some stars on your hands. Well, subscribe to my cat cast. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah, Richard, at the end of this episode, I want the Cats predictions for 2020 Oscars. (laughs) Presumably, they're going to predict cats, but let me know if they're going to surprise us. My cat is listening to this, I just (laughs) want to say. Okay, so we we did pretty well in Black Panther. Like, is there any, do we feel like we learned any lessons from sticking with Black Panther early on. I think we discussed how Captain Marvel maybe doesn't seem like quite the same thing. I guess it was just kind of an easier thing to see of how Disney was going to go really hard for that one. Yeah, I think you can sense, um, you know, a moment, you know, and I think that given the fact that Black Panther was as seismic as it was in terms of its box office success, its critical acclaim, its, you know, triumphs of representation, 
coupled with the fact that it came at a time when the Academy was really trying to wrestle with its identity. Yeah. Um, and I actually spoke to two young um, people who work for the Academy in Mexico. Well, they work in L.A., but they were at the festival. And they were telling me that like this has long been the plan and what they were waiting for yeah. was kind of they were waiting for a scandal. It was sort of an accelerationist thinking of like, if something, right. we want something to go wrong so yeah. we can fix everything. Yeah. So I think that the timing of Black Panther with that sort of institutional, you know, management uh, happening was, it was the perfect storm of, yeah. of things for Marvel to get its first best picture. Plus, I just feel like from the break with Black Panther, the conversation, one of the conversations around it, because there were many conversations about that movie, but one of them was framed specifically around, could this be the first Marvel movie to get a best picture nomination? Could could this be is this movie sort of singular enough and does it have enough of a POV to really sort of break that escape velocity of what the Marvel movies had been up until then? And I think that matters. I think because I think that's what worked with Get Out, too, was that from the very beginning, people were like, is this good enough to get uh, Oscar attention? And even if the answer initially is a lot of people being like, no, that's too, that's you know, I'm skeptical. That's at least the conversation at indoors, and that's why I'm sort of thinking. You mentioned Captain Marvel, which, like, I think we can all agree that's not the conversation around that movie. But I wonder if that is the conversation around us, because I've seen the little bit I've seen. I've been trying to avoid reading about that movie because I don't know very much about the plot, and I want it to stay that way until I see it. But some of the things that I've heard out of Southwest have specifically mentioned, like Lupita Nyong'o gives, you know, a you know. A performance that will probably stand among the year's best, and I'm hearing, you know, Oscar contender and yada 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 about that early. And while that may or may not pan out, now at least that movie is in the conversation, and we'll be talking about that movie through that lens. So Joanna and I talked about it last week. I was gonna say, if you tune into Little Goldman last week, uh, notorious Oscar bellwether Joanna Robinson said <laughs> that uh, I, I think out of that movie, Lupita has the best shot at anything. Honestly, um, yeah. maybe screenplay for Jordan uh, to like repeat it or something like that. But um, it did not ring to me. I, I think I'll have to wait and see how the larger conversation plays out. But it did not ring to me as I watched it. It's just so much more of like a straightforward horror that even. Just- just from the trailer, it feels that way, yeah. Yeah, so w- without talking about any plot to keep you pristine, Joe. Uh, <laughs> but uh, something I wanted to say, there's something, speaking of horror, there, there's a phrase that I know a lot of horror fans and maybe film writers in general are pushing back on, which is this idea of like prestige horror or elevated horror. Right. And I think the same sort of label could be applied to Black Panther or I would argue Logan or uh, The Dark Knight which is like these are prestige or elevated comic book movies Yeah, but I like the way that you put it Joe which is like they have a POV I think they do have like something larger to say Yeah, and as much as I love Captain Marvel more than the average bear like I I don't feel like it it it, uh, hits that mark so I, I would not put anything on that or any of the comic book movies that are on the slate this year, you know, like uh, Endgame, Endgame for all it's like potential return of the king, end of an era, sort of let's acknowledge what has been accomplished um, vibe to it. I just don't, I think outside of technical wars of like that, I don't think Endgame, completely sight unseen, uh, is something we're going to be talking about in that same way. Well, that said though, Shazam is going to sweep the BAFTAs. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's already a given. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. 
Well, we can move on uh, from talking about Disney and maybe why they won't win an Oscar uh, this year to what will help them win an Oscar is that the Fox-Disney merger is coming very soon. So by this time next year, they probably will be behind all Fox Searchlight. And last year, we went on from Disney to talk about Fox Searchlight and what they had in the hopper. And I was particularly amused to listen to what we had to say about the favorite. It's Emma Stone, which I think is a very exciting project for her in the wake. That's a good sort of like, I've won Best Actress, so I have a little bit of leeway to work with some really interesting directors, which is great. And she's playing Queen Anne, I guess, because it's it's about Queen Anne, yeah. And we saw with The Lobster that like, there's sort of, the Academy is inching closer towards Lanthimos's, uh wavelength. <laughs> She was None of you guys called me it. on my bad history. <laughs> you didn't clip the part where I think I called it like a political drama. I was just like, I think we were all out to lunch on what the favorite was actually about. But and none of us ever said the name Olivia Coleman, which right. is what really blew my. And like Joanne, I know you've been on the Olivia Coleman train forever, but I think even like you, who knew how talented she was, like we didn't know that this was gonna be such a star vehicle for her. I mean, I definitely think the first time I heard the words, the favorite was on that podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> I had not done my research at all. Um, but yeah, I was actually listening to that right before the Oscars this year. I, I was re-listening to that episode. And when you said that Queen Anne thing, I like literally laughed out loud. It's not your fault. <laughs> it was just like a real laughed out loud moment for me. I was like, whoops. All right. Yeah, it was go. just funny how right you got it. Because she does play Queen Anne in that movie. Right? Did I understand that? <laughs> she plays her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The Fox Searchlight segment started with me kind of offhand dismissing uh, the recently debuted trailer for Can You Ever Forgive Me? And uh, we can listen to the part where Joe kind of steps in to uh, school me on why that was actually worth paying attention to. I've been waiting ever since Bridesmaids because McCarthy gets the rare, you know, comedy acting nomination for Bridesmaids. And you always got the feeling that she has something in her, a more sort of hefty, dramatic, you know, role and this feels like it could be it also it's a film about how horrible the press that covers hollywood yeah, it's is celebrity <laughs> biographer so that, that could definitely have traction yeah uh well done mike and joe yeah, I mean, that's not, not exactly what the movie's no. about, but, you know, <laughs> we didn't know that at we the didn't time. Know we knew it was about, about it, yeah. a woman who, yes, did, did bi- you know, write biographies of celebrities. So. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, Joe, you're, you're good at this. I mean, that's I, why we have you here. I will take credit for that one. That was a movie that I was, I remember being high on that one before Toronto and people being like, because I think that first trailer left a lot of people pretty dubious as to what the tone of that movie was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I was just like, nope, I'm going to have faith in it. It I'm also opened really it. quietly at Telluride, you yeah. know? So oh, yeah. I, when I saw it there, I was like, I like that, but I don't It wasn't until after that Toronto screening, and I remember we sort of like, I was seeing friends of mine who had been at that screening, and I think we sort of were like a little incredulous, which is like, that was really great, wasn't it? And then then it sort of began to snowball from there. So yeah, that was fun. Yeah, last year's Oscar, I mean, like that was something that snowballed kind of in the course of the regular award season, but then with First Reformed and The Wife were movies that had kind of been around forever, and they just kind of grew by people having time to think about them and really like let them get under their skin, which I think is kind of an underrated Oscar strategy. You have to have the right movie for it, but so many movies like really grow from letting people like think about it and learn to love it. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because you mentioned Fox Searchlight and you mentioned, you know, early trailers. And I don't know if anybody saw the trailer for Lucy in the Sky this morning that just got released, the Natalie Portman yeah, yeah, astronaut movie. And that is, uh, I believe, Searchlight. And that is, I'm, I'm 
You forgot the most important word of that movie, which is diaper. Right. She's the, diaper she's the movie. <laughs> uh, astronaut psycho diaper lady. Um, but it's Noah yeah. Hawley directing, which I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be dubious about that or not, because I'm sort of hot and cold on his TV stuff, more cold than hot, actually. But Portman looks great in that trailer, I will say. So... I'm hot and cold on, I mean, I, I like, when I'm high, I'm really high on Noah Hawley, and then, like, you know, he can lose me sometimes with, like, with Legion, but I think since this is a slightly more straightforward story, um, you know, you can think maybe of, of some of the moments of the early seasons of Fargo that were more straightforward, and I think he did a tremendous job with those, so, you know, that's, if, if it were, like, Legion the movie, I would be very skeptical, <laughs> right. but, but as it is, you know, I'm very intrigued. It's also exciting just when we get these trailers so early in the year. Like, as, as far as I can tell, this doesn't have a release date. It might be a fall festival thing. But as with Can You Ever Forgive Me last year, it doesn't hurt to kind of plant your flag and give us something to talk about for the next few months. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so let's move on to something that did the exact opposite and uh, showed up at the very end of the year when we all knew it was coming. Uh, we did have our finger on the pulse for Vice, even though at the time we didn't have a title. So let's hear what we had to say about that. Can we talk about the Dick Cheney movie? Because I feel like this is a really interesting one. It's got a December 21st release date, so you know that, like, they believe in it. It's Adam McKay coming off of The Big Short, which is, you know, was a real sort of, like, career pivot for him, which all of a sudden now, from being the Anchorman director, now he's an Oscar-nominated director. It still seems like such an odd choice for a project. It's going to be really hard for me to imagine people getting behind a biopic of Dick Cheney as something that they want to you know, see. throw their votes to. Right, or see, right, exactly. And but yet, this is going to be like a liberal comic book version you, I can't of imagine Dick it wouldn't Cheney. be. I mean, right. Adam McKay's Twitter is basically right. like just, right. you know, MSNBC. Oh, totally. <laughs> I feel like we pretty much had it right. Like, Vice did very well with the Oscars. It won an Oscar for makeup, but did anyone actually want to see Vice? For end? a movie that got eight Oscar <laughs> nominations, I still don't know if anybody liked it. Yeah. And, like, honestly, we, we're... Are we going to be the last people on earth who ever talk about that movie? Right, I mean, like, right. that's kind of what it feels it. like. Yeah. yeah. And that was kind of the tenor of that conversation. You know, it was like, yeah, I mean, like, we have to sort of acknowledge that, like, I, I honestly feel like Vice got as much as it did because, like you said, Joe, it was sort of like the it was like the residual from an, another thing that people really liked. It yeah. was like, okay, well, we have to do this because it's that guy. But well, and it's, and it's like Christian Bale doing a transformative physical transformation. Mm. It's like, okay, fine. Okay, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Amy yeah. Adams, once again, it's like, okay. okay. <laughs> well, it feels like American Hustle kind of, like another movie with Christian Bale and Amy Adams that showed up late in the year and kind of got this flurry of attention. And then, yeah. like, who thinks about American Hustle now? You really feel like if I Oscar voting... Think about, <laughs> I think about... Jennifer Lawrence starting a fire in her science oven. In her science <laughs> oven, right. And, and, yeah. and weirdly, we got to get over on all those guys has become a sort of gay Twitter meme. I do kind of say that a lot. Which yeah. is like a funny <laughs> thing that like gay Twitter should be like, American Hustle, yes. I mean, the Amy Adams of it all is, pro- is definitely why that is. But right. like, so, so and Hustle endures a little bit more. But you're right, Katie. Like, they, they do have similar profiles in that like people were talking about them a lot for four weeks. <laughs> like, and, <laughs> and there then, are things in Vice that I feel like are so outlandish that I feel like should be talked about more. Like the fact of that ending or the... The Jesse Shakespeare P- scene. The Jesse Plemons plot twist, which yeah. is like, I fully forgot about that. And that is, it made me so angry while I was watching the movie. But that movie has such a quick fade on almost all levels that if that if Oscar voting had happened even like two weeks later than it did, I wonder if Vice would have gotten Any, eight nominations. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yeah, I think every year has something like that. And maybe later we can try to figure out what this year's version of that will <laughs> right, be. Right, right. 
Yeah. Midway, directed by Roland Emmerich. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll, oh we'll get there. <laughs> So there's another uh, big Best Picture contender that, from my memory, I didn't really see coming at all, but I guess uh, was much more on our radar. So uh, let's hear what we thought from the very beginning about A Star is Born. I'm really, really intrigued by A Star is Born, which has kept very quiet, even though it stars Lady Gaga. It got scheduled for an October release date. I mean, who knows what to expect from Bradley Cooper as a director, but it feels like if this hits, it could hit really, really big. Here's my prediction right now. Golden Globe nominations for Bradley Cooper and Stephanie Germanata, a.k.a. Lady Gaga. Like, that feels like, Definitely. write that down in stone, right? This was like when Into the Woods was coming out, and I was like, Emily Blunt for Golden Globe nominee. Like, it's, it's just going to happen. Well, Emily so. Blunt gets a Golden Globe nomination for leaving her house. 100%. That is true. <laughs> Here's, here is another thing I'm writing on a piece of paper. And actually, I wrote it on VF.com when this project was announced. Oscar for Lady Gaga for best song. I mean, best song, whatever. But, like, Lady Gaga is going to get her Oscar for best song for this movie. There you have it. It all seems Notorious so academic Notorious Oscar now. Bellwether, Joanna Robinson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that Ruth Carter and Lady Gaga had like lunch about this time last year? Right. And we're like, all right, so what do you think about this girl? We got the Robinson bump. Yeah, the whole email chain to plan the lunch was right. just like, Joanna, exclamation point. <laughs> the, the safest Oscar predictions... From yours truly. Well, they seem incredibly safe now, but I think a year ago, there was still a chance that A Star is Born could have been very bad. Like, Bradley Cooper directing for the first time, Lady Gaga as a leading lady for the first time. That could have been straight up awful. And yeah. So good for yeah, us, I you, say. It feels like we weren't high enough on A Star is Born, but in the end, the best song is all that it got. I mean, stars. I, I feel like I'm going to yeah. spend the rest of my life not understanding why A Star is Born sputtered the way that it did, and we've talked about this plenty. But this kind of reminds me, like, a year ago, it wasn't a sure thing, then it felt for so long like a sure thing, and in the end, it was fine. The The entire year-long journey of A Star is Born was a long trip to get back to where we thought it would be at that podcast. Yes, yeah. It, exactly. it was <laughs> Golden Globe winner and Best Song winner, and that's basically where it stopped. And yeah. There there it is. Uh, Elsewhere in things that were difficult to predict, I think this is a really interesting look at where we thought the narratives were going to shake out next year. It seemed like there's going to be a lot of history repeating that didn't actually happen, so we can listen to that part. We have a lot of recent Oscar players kind of back with their follow-ups. Damien Chazelle has his uh, Neil Armstrong movie. Barry Jenkins yep. has If Beale Street Could Talk. Alfonso Cuaron has, I think, his Gravity follow-up. Is that really his first movie since Gravity? Yeah. Um, so, and that yeah, movie filmed in, filmed in Mexico City with uh, an all-Mexican cast. So it's... Um, it's not going to be this like you know star-studded like glitzy thing, but I feel like Coron going from Gravity to something as sort of street level as uh, the movie's called Roma could really be you know something that people could really get behind. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I did much better last year than I did yeah. previous years. I will say, like we can embarrass me from from previous years, but I think I had a couple ones. I'll take that. I think what we didn't see coming with Roma in this discussion, and like I don't know if we knew it was a Netflix thing at that time, but like it, it wasn't glitzy with stars, but it had such a huge push behind exactly. it that it started to feel glitzy. Exactly. Yeah. Like the Roma pillow in my basement will tell you how much power was behind <laughs> yeah. it. Leave it to Netflix's deep pockets to make a movie like Roma seem like an overprivileged sort of like 
you know, the big dog in the yard yeah. that we have to like crawl out from under. It's strange. That's yeah, true. It's true. I also just but find it funny how we were kind of bracing ourselves for a Damien Chazelle Barry Jenkins rematch, <laughs> and yeah. uh, things like things just don't pan out quite the way that you think they. I, I just I was trying to remember the last time there was like a you know director narrative like that of kind of a battle, and I guess it was Catherine Bigelow, James Cameron, and maybe sure. we were just we were just too lucky to have that and can't keep trying to repeat it yeah so um was that if that was the official beginning of of kitty rich's misguided first man hype it That's started exactly. then. yeah i didn't even know i would love it yet <laughs> i was trying to make my first man happen so much um okay we got one more clip to listen to and this is going to be a uh, rubbing our noses in our mistakes of the yeah, past moment so uh get ready everybody <laughs> Do we feel like there's any chance for Rami Malek in the uh, Freddie Mercury movie, <sighs> Bohemian no. Rhapsody, which no. is set oh, for wow, December? Joanna. It's set for late December. It's hugely controversial because Brian Singer got you know bumped out of the director chair for Dexter Fletcher. Um, but at least they did it. At least they Plus, did it. Brian kind of Singer. Like, the promo photo looks amazingly it's like the Christopher uncanny. Plummer uh, situation. It's like yeah. One photo, like it's one photo where they, I swear they CGI enhanced his jaw to make him look more. Um, and uh, like, and Brian Singer was already like the fifth director attached to that project. Rami Malik is like the 900th actor signed on to that project. Like, that project is just so like embattled. I'm gonna go hard no so that later next year you guys can all laugh at me. <laughs> Well, you were right in about this one moment, thing. Yeah. In this moment, I feel like Lady Gaga. Like, I feel like you guys really built me up. <laughs> and then... Just to knock me all the way down. Uh, well, Joanna, we're laughing with you. I'm on record on a podcast, uh, Blank Check, um, that I recorded last fall, where David Sims, one of the co-hosts, had just seen um, Bohemian Rhapsody. And I'm like, no one's going to be talking that about that movie when this comes out. And he's like, no, absolutely not. We had this whole long yeah. conversation. So Joanna, you were forgotten. not alone in that, yeah. uh, in that assessment. <laughs> well, I definitely remember the episode we recorded after it came out when we had Hilary Busis on who had seen it and was just like, yeah, it's terrible. We were like, oh, well, okay, it's terrible. Yeah. Moving <laughs> Case on. Closed. Oh, no. yeah. The story of last year's Oscar season, I really think is people like us sleeping on both Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book. And I, I, you can come up with all kinds of reasons why, but Bohemian Rhapsody is, a, is another puzzler that obviously even a year ago we were underestimating. We kept trying to slam the door on that that movie and it just kept just being like like <laughs> stuck its foot in the corner and it was just like nope it's still there <laughs> Rami Malek and his giant jaw just right. made their way yeah, through exactly. the door exactly so to wrap up we can look back at our best picture uh, predictions uh, Richard you were not on the episode but you popped in to predict Boy Erased Sorry. and I was right <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think we can all congratulations agree congratulations to you and Lucas right? Richard was right yes <laughs> right uh, as ever Joe you Joe, you predicted if Beale Street could talk, which was an excellent on-paper prediction, and you know, it, it, it did okay, Oscar-wise, I'd say. It's no moonlight, but it was no moonlight. Are. It was no moonlight. Yeah. Uh, Mike, who is not on this episode, but we will uh, try to force a prediction out of this year, predicted Mary Queen of Scots. That also didn't... right. <laughs> <laughs> it got what two nominations for uh, costume, costume and makeup. Costume and makeup. Yep. So you know, it wasn't blanked entirely. Yeah. Uh, Joanna went with Bay Area Pride and picked Beautiful Boy. Yikes. <laughs> well, just like with Lucas Hedges, just worked out in your memory. Uh, and I, for the second year in a row, and the only one who picked a Best Picture nominee, congratulations to me, uh, I picked Vice. 
nice. sight unseen based on the power of uh, you know makeup. Which hope I'm you're proud of yourself. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't your the one in the year before was the darkest hour? Darkest right? hour, yeah. Yeah, my, yeah my you're, really, you're really picking those eternal winners. Well, yeah, and, I mean, like, and both were makeup winners. So I'm hoping that this year, whatever I predict, yeah. will turn out to be the makeup winner. You're really nailing down that going. eighth best picture nominee. Uh, <laughs> vibe. That's a, what, what, a, what an interesting superpower. <laughs> it's going to take me so far in life. <laughs> I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, let's move on to 2020. We have this huge, wonderful list that Joe put together. And maybe to start the conversation, I just wanted everyone to pick a title that they are interested in, that they are predicting, that they think is worth talking about. Joe, as our guest, uh, you should go first. What is on your radar for next year's Oscars? Uh, well, maybe I'm riding the hot hand and I did such a... a I did well for myself in talking about Can You Ever Forgive Me last year, which was directed by Mariel Heller. She is back this year with A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is a biopic of Fred Rogers, who I know Oscar, you know, bypassed the documentary uh, about Mr. Rogers this past year. But and I, I also have gone broke before on predicting the Oscars <laughs> to fall in love with Tom Hanks the way they did in the 90s. But this just seems perfect. It's it's Tom Hanks playing the most beloved man of our childhoods. Like how can <laughs> – I don't want to say how can it go wrong because that's a recipe for it going wrong. But I think I'm really interested in the marriage of Heller who has proved herself to be I think a very skilled and like emotionally adept filmmaker. So I feel like we'll get some – I feel like we'll get under the skin of this character a little bit in a way that like – Another director might have me be worried that this will be sort of a very glossy sort of biopic. And I just I'm really I'm really into the idea of Tom Hanks now moving into this phase of his career. Where remember at one point we just all decided it was okay to talk about when Meryl Streep was gonna get her third Oscar again. For a while it was just sort of like, you know, Streep will get nominated, but she can't win because she's already won two. And that, and then at one point it was just like, oh, but she's good enough now that she should have three. Mm-hmm. And I want that for Tom Hanks right now. I want that conversation to start this year, which is, isn't Tom Hanks good enough to have three Oscars? I think he is. So <laughs> let's let that begin now. I've been holding a grudge ever since he got snubbed for Captain Phillips. Thank yeah. you. I, yes. I also worry that he just like has a cursed idol that is keeping him from getting nominated again. But I do think you're right, Joe, that like if anything is going to do it. He took like something Bra- home ben from Bradley's- the Castaway Island that he shouldn't <laughs> exactly. have. Exactly. Wilson is haunting him. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, if anything is going to do it, it has to be this. And also, the, like, I was a little skeptical about this for some of the reasons you were saying, Joe, but when Marielle Heller came on Little Gold Men, it was talked to Richard last year about Can You Ever Forgive Me? Great interview. And she talked about, uh, such a great interview, and she talked about her reasons for wanting to make this was having a son and just, like, wanting to present a version of masculinity in the world that was not hostile or toxic, and God knows we need non-toxic masculinity. It, it seems like it's going to have a power beyond, look how much you love this guy. I think Marielle Heller, too, like, I think the momentum behind her, like, I don't know about the film itself, but I think her, even more so in the conversation as a filmmaker this year, that feels certain to me. Yeah. Yeah, especially, I mean, we had, there were so many great movies by women last year and zero uh, female Best Director nominees, and we just can't have that keep happening. Agreed. Uh, Joanna, you talked last. What is on your radar? Um, uh, like, you know, I'm always burned by going with my heart. <laughs> so I'm not going to go with my heart right now. And I want to know what with, your heart is, though. Uh, okay, I could, I could do both. We can come back to that. But we can start with my head, which says fair and balanced. Um, ah. Yes, the, the, the film about uh, with Charlize Theron as Megyn Kelly and Nicole Kidman as Gretchen Carlson. I'm going like the Katie Rich route. I'm like, okay, we want to see transformations. white people <laughs> playing real people um, with some politically charged history. So, yeah, this is a sort of like examination of the, the women of Fox News and their altercations with founder Roger Ailes. Uh, with John Lithgow as Roger Ailes, which is funny because um, Charlize Theron is in a South by Southwest movie, Long Shot, where um, there is a Roger Ailes figure as well. Interesting. Oh, interesting. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's that's uh, that's on my radar. Um, I'm not sure about Jay Roach bringing it all the way, but I I, I think Jay Roach, that director of Trumbo, we should say, which did uh, got Brian Cranston Best Actor nomination. And, yeah, it, it did. Jay Roach has has tried this. Area before on on HBO, on HBO with yes. Recount and um, Game Change, yeah, which won awards. Both of which I really like. Yeah, yeah. Know, so it'll so. be interesting to see that translated to us to the bigger screen. Well, that's the thing is that I think one of the things you right Trumbo did get Cranston a nomination, but I think one of my problems with Trumbo, which is a movie I really don't like, is it felt very TV mm. in a bad way. Like I hate doing the like movie good TV bad thing, but like there are ways in which movies can seem smaller than they should be. Um, and I feel like Roach's sensibility never feels quite so cinematic. I think this is a really big wild card. This movie is a really big wild card in the season because it's set to uh, premiere in late December, which is like the thick of the season. And it could be the vice, which is just, you know, sweeps us all along with a politically charged movie at the right time but it's going to have a lot of attention and it's going to have a lot of opportunity to fall flat if it's yeah and it's also going to have a lot of competition sort of I mean it's not quite a whistleblower movie well it sort of is right. um, but we have the report coming out which is kind of a whistleblower movie we have Steven Soderbergh's movie with Meryl Streep we have yeah. Todd Haynes made a whistleblower movie with About Mark Ruffalo yeah, yeah, yeah. and Anne Hathaway yeah. so like this is the year I think these are the, these are Trump era movies about yes. process and people doing really things small good things to like change bad systems right yeah and yes the um jay roach's film about fox news is going to have the the most actors playing people we know or like people we've heard of or people we hate or people we love i don't know you know depending on your sensibilities so i think it has that leg up but i think the 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 sort of like why isn't this on hbo thing yeah is gonna is gonna hurt plus also in the downton abbey movie maggie smith's character blows the whistle on the crawley family oh right that's right right. that's right it's a really big thing I both agree with you and at the same time I'm just like trying to learn from my past mistakes and say that 
everyone that I know lost their minds over seeing Charlize Theron as Megyn Kelly, which like I didn't think it was that transformative. But I, then again, I also brushed off the Rami Malek photo, so I'm not making that mistake again. <laughs> Cover those bases. So. You didn't think it was that transformative that blonde, pretty <laughs> Charlize Theron put on a wig to look like blonde, pretty Megyn Kelly? They were like, she looks just like her. I was like, yes. Yeah. Well, and she does. And the hairstyling Oscar is on its way. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, Richard. Let, what do you what do you want to talk about? Speaking of wigs, um, <laughs> I know that this is. I, I don't think this is going to get a best picture nomination or anything. But I have a laser eye on Renee Zellweger as Judy Garland. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that she Love. is absolutely poised for a comeback role. Yep. I think you know we. She was at the Oscar party, the VF Oscar party. She looks she fantastic. Looks like great. Um, great. I just think it's it's her time. That's really interesting casting. Yeah. It's about you know right at the it, the, the story is right at the end of Garland's life when she went to London to perform a series of concerts. We've seen over the years that there is a lot the Academy is willing to forgive about a kind of poorly ish made. Um, biopic movie if the central performance a la Michelle Williams Absolutely. in My Week with Marilyn yeah. is I don't even know if I would argue that's a good performance but an interesting no, one right you know something it, to kind of it's the genre they are most forgiving towards exactly yeah. and I think yeah. also couple that with a comeback narrative for a previous Oscar winner and, and multiple nominee in, in Zellweger um, I think depending on how that movie it's got to play at a festival it's got to play well at a festival well it's supposed to open in July right now oh is so it really it would be, oh, oh well I had it, but it, you, they could always move it you never okay. know yeah. I mean that that seems like that's a, I don't know if I agree with that strategy, yeah. strategy but unless um, it's a hit unless it's one of well, those things right. where like you know the Judy fans come yeah. out of the woodwork. I don't know. But I yeah. mean, it, it could absolutely go the way of Diana or Print Grace of Monaco and just be a complete disaster that no one ever talks about again. Sure. But I don't know. I'm very curious about that one. Yeah. I, I'm, I I'm here for the year of Renee. I, I was so happy to see her at our Oscar party and she just looked like happy and fabulous and amazing. And like anytime the world like turns on an actress and she's like, guess what? I'm still here. I'm just, <laughs> I'm ready. So... Also, uh, Richard, I think you're totally right not to predict it as a Best Picture nominee, but also I think the only reason is because it's a movie about a woman, and were this a biopic about, like, Frank well, Sinatra right. or something, we'd be like, oh, well, Best oh Picture. God, not yeah. that that's your sexism, but that's just the world in, in operating there. Um, the thing that I have my eye on that I kind of can't get my head around but I'm really excited about is The Goldfinch, which is mm-hmm. a, so on paper, uh, Oscar contender. It's this adaptation of this huge hit book by Donna Tartt. Uh, it's directed by John Crowley, who directed The Wonderful Brooklyn. And it's got this really crazily star-studded cast. It's got Ansel Elgort in the lead role. I mean, it's this huge epic story that is really hard for me to imagine. It's, it's going to have to lose so much. It's a really wild and weird story. Uh, but it's got Nicole Kidman and Sarah Paulson and Jeffrey Wright in the supporting role that is really easy to imagine from the book uh, being uh, a big Oscar play for him. The book is a little harsh and kind of violent in places, and there's a lot of drug use in it among, like, children, which I don't know how they're going to deal with. But I'm excited about John Crowley bringing a little bit more heart to it, because there is a lot of heart in the book itself that you kind of have to dig around for, and I think he's uh, a thoughtful but not overly sentimental director. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he might do with it. Yeah, I was talking about this movie at at the Guadalajara Film Festival with a... um, Famed producer who received an award there. I don't want to call them out by name, because just in case they were talking out of school. But um, we shared a concern about this. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've quite famously, if you follow me on Twitter, never finished The Goldfinch, right, and I tweet I, about yeah. it a lot. <laughs> uh, um, but there is a middle section of that book where, um, this isn't a spoiler, the, 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 the lead, the protagonist is in 
Las Vegas with and he meets this kid and it's this long rambling section that's beautifully written and then the book returns to the sort of New York City art world mystery thing I'm really concerned they're going to elide a lot of that stretch of, of the story yeah. and just make it the sort of New York City art world thing. And I think then the story loses a lot. This is a huge novel, yeah. and adapting You're it into have a to book like, yeah. rather than a mini or a film rather than a miniseries, I just worry about what cuts they're going to have to make. Yeah. And I think John Crowley, you know, he's a smart guy. He can tailor things really well, but. I don't even. I don't know if anyone can tailor that book into into a like a legible yeah. movie that that delivers. And maybe it's it's partially me coming from the podcast that I do. We talk a lot about movies that are sort of hyped that ultimately don't succeed with Oscar. And there are a lot of literary adaptations that fall under that rubric, from like Angela's Ashes to even something like Running with Scissors, or even when like a movie turns out well, like The Virgin Suicides, but it ultimately isn't like an Oscar thing. And I think the you know there are there's so many ways for a book to movie translation to turn out underwhelming if not like actually disappointing like like the lovely bones i think is a huge example the of light that. between oceans the light between oceans like there i mean there's so many examples of it and i'm trying to think of like the other side of like when it turns out well and it's just like i guess like memoirs of a geisha won a bunch of oscars but they were all sort of like below the line um, well, like Brooklyn was a book adaptation, but it's an adaptation of like a very like straightforward, simple story, which I sure. think translated well. And I don't remember ever really hearing about Brooklyn before that became a movie. And granted, I am functionally illiterate, so like I don't. Really. <laughs> no, but, I mean I think there there are some book adaptations like where everyone talked, everyone read the book, so they have these expectations or whatever. And there's some where like Brooklyn was a popular book, or like Atonement was a popular book. That's but true. That's a good example. Like, yeah. But those are still like at a, those are still adaptations where you're not like constantly talking about the book, if that makes sense. Yeah. Versus I think so many people at least are going to be like very proud they made it through Goldfinch, so they're going to have a lot of opinions. About yeah. it. Uh, speaking of a couple other literary adaptations that I want to put on the radar, there's uh, like My Heart is obviously with Little Women, which is um, yeah. Greta Gerwig. Yeah. I think we can all put a collective podcast heart on Little Women. Yeah. Yep. Like that's that's where my eh. like, that's where I. <laughs> <laughs> eh, speak for yourselves. <laughs> Women, got it, got Little. It, got it. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Greta Blech. Um, so yeah, so there's that. And then there's also. Something I'm really curious about is Edward Norton is doing Motherless Brooklyn, yeah. uh, the Jonathan Lethem novel, and that is just going to be a very uh, like that's either going to be great or like the most deeply problematized uh, thing because that's a that's a book I really like, but it's got its protagonist has Tourette syndrome, and I could just see it being like um, you know Edward Norton is directing, Edward Norton is starring. I could see it being like. Like, I can both see Edward Norton doing a really good job with it and it just being really gimmicky in a way that people are yeah. going to be upset about. So I don't I don't know what's going to happen with that. It's got um, it's got a really good cast and, you know, like Bobby Cannavale, Gugum Batha-Ra, Bruce Willis, uh, Leslie Mann, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. I don't know. And and I think the Academy doesn't love Edward Norton is my sense, um, generally. Well, they were um, hot and cold, right? Where, like, they nominated him for, like, American History X and then they fully forgot about him for a decade or more and then he got the Birdman nomination. Well, he got a Birdman right. nom nomination for playing a version of himself which is an asshole actor who's talented but impossible to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, right. And let's also bear in mind 
that the last film that Edward Norton directed was 19 years ago, and it was the religious comedy with Jenna yes. Elfman, Keeping the Faith. That's right. So, oh, yeah. wow. But I love Keeping the Faith. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, to go back quickly to Goldfinch, Katie, I I'm really curious about that movie to see if it if it finally solves the question of Ansel Elgort. Do people like him? Do <laughs> I, I like him? I don't know. Uh-huh. But like, I think it's is, a fascinating he, question. He has had obviously his biggest success was probably well, Baby Driver and Fault in Our Stars. But those yeah. were sort of niche movies that appealed to certain people. And but like, this is like a prestige play to put Ansel Elgort in the DiCaprio seat. Or something it, like that. And yeah. don't forget, he's got West Side Story coming next year where he's playing Tony. Like, it's, So if, if this works, it really catapults uh, I'm yeah, working with my it, therapist to it, forget that, Katie. <laughs> yeah, all I but know if, is but that, if it doesn't land, then it, then Spielberg's like, oh, we made a huge mistake. Right? All like, I, know, I, don't yeah. know. I just know that Ansel Elgort is going to DJ the Goldfinch premiere party, and I need one of you <laughs> to take me along as your plus one so I can experience Well, I'm that. catering it. So, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> also, I think we're all forgetting that the designated literary adaptation slot on this year's Best Picture list is going to The Woman in the Window. So, Oh, <laughs> my God. Yikes. Guys, I just read that book as like my Oscar season due diligence, and it made me so mad. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, and I'm, and we I'm sitting there thinking, this. yeah, I, I was talking to Joanna about this, and I was like, well, you know what I mean? Like, this, There's this huge takedown in the New Yorker of the author, like how is anyone going to take it seriously? Then again, Nick Vallelonga won an Oscar, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. and it's directed by my beloved Joe Wright. So I don't want to write it off entirely, but I oh, know. I don't know what to do about this movie. I wish anybody else was directing that. I want him far away from that. <laughs> no, like he's he's coming off of this huge success with Darkest Hour. Like, go do something better, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Um, another literary adaptation that's been kicked down the, the, the field repeatedly is Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which yes. is finally coming out in 2019 and has, a, I mean, a great star in Kate Blanchett. It's a very popular book. Yeah. But again, you might run into the question of did they adapt in the right way? Mm-hmm. It's Richard Linklater directing, which is interesting. But like the fact that they keep moving it, that does that does that worry you, Joe? Is yeah. that a bad sign? Yeah, yeah. And I think Linklater, we we tend to think because his last big movie was Boyhood, and that was such a big Oscar success in terms of tons of nominations, and Patricia Arquette wins the Oscar and all that. But like. He doesn't really have a strong Oscar history beyond like the odd screenplay nomination for the Before Sunset and Before Midnight. Movies. Well, Last Flag Flying won all the those. Oh, Oscars. right, yeah. God, yeah. Last Flag Flying. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> so I want to make sure we hit any other eight hundred pound gorillas that are kind of looking at us that seem like inevitable things that we'll either we'll be talking about uh, regardless of whether or not they actually get nominations. The obvious one to me, and because the poster just came out, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, talking about movies that will be problematic and drive everyone crazy on Twitter, uh, we're never going to stop talking about this, right? No. Yeah, but at least it's not going to be like the worst Sharon Tate movie we see this year, right? Because there's like the haunting of Sharon Tate or something. There's like truly terrible things that are happening around the Charles Manson uh, narrative. Uh, I'm I'm really excited actually for Charlie Says, which is uh, the you know Matt Smith, uh, Hannah Murray, Charles Manson story. Anyway, um, that was a terrible poster, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh my god, it's awful! It's like, so what was anyone thinking? This is I don't like, understand. Like, who's happy with they, that? Yeah, because the photos that we got to premiere in, in Vanity Fair were gorgeous. Like yeah. those are great photos. So like the film itself does look gorgeous. And I hear there's going to be a trailer this week. So maybe we'll like forget about the poster as soon as we see the trailer. But that poster, my god. Yeah. The one crime thing I, against Brad Pitt. My yeah. God. The one piece of optimism I have for the Oscar chances, or at least like the Oscar ness of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is at least it's opening in July so if it's a movie that like initially has a lot of hype and then we all sort of think better of it if that is the case it's not like Django or 
Hateful Eight, which opened so late that it, they both had sort of momentum enough to carry. I don't like either one of those movies, and it mm-hmm. kind of bums me out that they both like Django got Best Picture nomination and Hateful Eight, which I love Jennifer Jason Lee, but like not for that movie. So I feel like if ultimately the conversation cools on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we'll have time to let it cool before yeah. we sort of rush Tarantino back into. Another and July is when uh, Inglorious Pastors opened after premiering at Cannes. So right. uh, I, it makes yeah. me wonder if they're going to try a similar strategy there. Yeah, I, I think the, the common thinking right now is that that'll be at Cannes either out of competition or or in the main. That makes a ton of sense. Because I mean, you know, he he won't, he's a Palm d'Or winner, so they like oh, yeah. to have past winners back. Yeah, totally. Um, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, that poster, boosh, like what was <laughs> that's real bad. <laughs> uh, Joe, what other uh, huge titles do you see coming? So we have to talk about cats because I say so. Um, oh my god, yeah. I can't, I've been waiting to talk about cats. Can we, can cats we call cats. it Tom, Tom, Tom Hooper's cats, though? Right? Tom like, Hooper's right, cats. Yeah. Tom Hooper's Andrew Lloyd Webber's is cats. Yes. So because <laughs> it's a very easy movie to laugh off, and like me too. But we tend to forget that like. Les Miserables, for as much as we laugh at it, got a Best Picture nomination. That this was another thing that we sort of I sort of figured out in doing my podcast when we talked about Rent, actually, which is since Chicago came out and won the Best Picture award in 2002, all these big musical theater adaptations end up getting something. Like the worst performer of them awards-wise has been the producers, and the producers got like a bunch of Golden Globe nominations. So like it's going to be in the conversation for something somehow. I don't know in what direction. I don't I mean, are we going to do the Jennifer Hudson thing again where we give her like we nominate her for singing one song? Is she she's Grizabella? She's Grizabella because all of a sudden Grizabella is no longer an old decrepit like cat who's about to die. Grizabella is always now a young like yeah, beautiful I saw, woman. I saw Leona Lewis do it on yeah, Broadway. Yes, yeah. me too. It was supposed to be Nicole Scherzinger. Yes, yeah. yeah. But my big question about Cats is that it's like on. It's similar to The Lion King in that it's going to be CGI, like motion capture, right? Like it's not actually it? going to be actors in costumes. I actually didn't know that. I, if that's I'm the case, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Really? Yeah. I want to see Taylor Swift in a big fur headdress. Or it's going to be CGI like cats, but like in a re- in real settings. Yeah, I really don't know, but I don't think it's going to be Taylor Swift in fucking cat makeup. Yeah, singing a song. Damn it! You uh, know? I, I know. I could be wrong Damn about it! That, indeed. Cancel the Oscar buzz. The gender swapped casting of Judy Dench as Old Deuteronomy <laughs> has me intrigued. I'm just going to say, has me intrigued. Do you think she knew she was in a movie? <laughs> no, absolutely no. She just <laughs> she was just like, oh, yeah, I just like this song. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It does feel like we dreamed this movie, kind of like it's, the it's cast so is hard insane. for me to imagine it existing. Idris Elba's in this movie. Ian McKellen's in this movie. Rebel Wilson's in this movie. Taylor Swift is in this movie. What is going on with? Wait, cats? who's playing Roto Tugger? It's um, is it Jason Derulo? Yes. Yeah. Whew, Why? This movie is. Wild. I don't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> Idris Elba playing McCavity, the uh, the the villain of the piece. It's. It's fully insane, and yet I just want to like be on the record as being like, if it happens in in some way, I don't think it's going to be like a best picture front runner or, or anything like that. But like, if it sneaks into a few categories here and there, just don't be that surprised because this kind of thing happens. Let Corden host it. So okay, yeah. I'm, I'm let looking. Cord- let Corden host the Oscars, and then like, yeah. Richard yeah. has a, Richard has a scoop. I'm, no, I'm no, it's not a scoop. It's okay. a, it's a, it's a huh, scoop like litter box, huh? Uh, <laughs> but um, 
No, it's the opposite of a scoop. It's that I don't think it's actually been said either way. There's okay, still a question sort of, of whether. Yeah. I thought that I had read something that was like, no, 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 don't worry. It's not going to be. Cats, like, much like McCavity, is a mystery cat. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no matter what, it'll be the movie of the century. And um, Thank you. I will be there opening freaking yeah, day. I, like, no, yeah. I didn't know that show at all. I knew memories. But I, when I saw yeah. it, when it came back to Broadway, and I turned to my friend at intermission, I was like, oh, so it's just really about cats. Yeah. Like, it's not like people a don't, metaphor. People really, like, really don't want to believe yeah. that it's just about cats singing yeah, cats. It's just a list of cats. It's cats singing cats. You'll love it. Like, that's the line from Angels in America. Yeah. That's, how I, that's how I describe it, because, like, that's what it is. Oh, boy. Guys, I love cats. I don't know. I, I like, I'm not. I'm not saying that, like, this is going to be a good movie. Yeah. I'm just saying that, like, sometimes I get in the mood to listen to the soundtrack, and I do. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I want, like, Taylor Swift on, on that version. Sure. But, like, I do want to see... I want to see James Corden promoting Cats, I think, is the most I'm excited for Cats. So there you go. I wanted to bring up one thing, and it's more of a performance than the movie, but, like, I wanted to get out ahead of it just in case it does happen. But Pedro Almodovar's movie Pain and Glory is a sort of reunion for him with Antonio Banderas. And Antonio Banderas plays a film director in it who sort of, like, is looking back on his life and career. Sort of, it seems not unlike Nine, but, like... Or Eight and a Half, which... Right, yes, exactly. Um, And Penelope Cruz, I think, I'm I'm not sure whether she's a co-star or just sort of, like, a featured cameo, but I feel like this could be a good narrative for Antonio Banderas because he's coming back to the place where he started a little bit, reuniting with Almodovar. Almodovar is a director that Oscar loves. They gave him screenplay award for Talk to Her. He got a director nomination for that movie, one foreign language film for All About My Mother. If you ever go back and watch the clip of him winning for All About My Mother, it's Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas presenting, and they like flip out, and it's really, really, it's a fun little clip to go watch. But I feel like... Antonio Banderas has never been nominated for Oscar, but he's been a movie star in America since Desperado. Like, you know, I'm trying to remember if that was – but, like, it's been decades. And this feels like a career nomination could be in the offing for him if it's very well received. It's supposed to come out in November, so this feels like a festival player. It'll be a can, I'm sure. And probably, like, Telluride or Venice or Toronto, like, two of the three of those or something like that. Yeah, that's interesting. And and Banderas has had sort of ups and downs in yeah. his career. Like he was really big for a little while, but then, you know, because our country is what it is, like we couldn't really figure out we they couldn't really figure out where to put him, you know, because of the accent and whatever. And yeah. Um and but he's held on in a similar way that Salma Hayek, his Desperado co star, yeah. has held on where they're like, Yep, you know, I mean it helps to marry a billionaire. Sure. For yeah. one thing. Yeah. Uh we should all be be so lucky. Dakota um, Johnson's stepfather, Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that that's a really good pick out of this thing. Um, can I just also cl- – when I groaned about Little Women, it's not because I don't like Greta Gerwig or I'm not interested in see that movie. It's just that, like, do we need another Little Women? Isn't the Gillian Armstrong one from 1994 kind of perfect with yeah. Susan Sarandon? Um, you know, like, I don't know if we need Meryl Streep is on March, though. Um, but yeah. I think this could be – I think that could be a movie that is a – sort of fun, good movie to see at Christmas that maybe nevertheless doesn't become an Oscar player, and that's fine. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of urgency. I feel like these days with Oscar, you, there, you need to have a little bit more of a... Unless it's this sort of, like, radically politically charged Little Women, which, honestly, I've heard Possible. of Stranger Ideas. Movie during wartime. Yeah. Um, also, it does seem better for Greta Gerwig, and we talked about this with us last week too and Jordan Peele, like when you have your uh, debut movie kind of just take off like a rocket with the Oscars, it's probably best to like have your second follow-up be 
well liked and good, but not necessarily an Oscar thing. It seems like less pressure. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Uh, we're starting to get up on an hour of this, so maybe we should do one last lightning round of titles we want to mention before we go into our predictions. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, I wanted to start with uh, The King by David Michaud, which is the reason Timothy Chalamet had that terrible haircut through yes. all the festivals last fall. Yes. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> him and Ben Mendelsohn, Thomas and McKenzie of Leave No Traces in it, which is really exciting. Uh, it's uh, Henry the... I don't know if it is a Shakespeare adaptation or if it's just about Henry V. Uh, Details still, are sketchy, I feel like, at this point for that movie. Yeah. yeah. Intriguing yeah. cast. Uh, we all saw Outlaw King, so we know that medieval stuff doesn't necessarily hit, but I like the cast in this a lot. And I loved Ben Mendelsohn so much in Captain Marvel. I'm really kind of coming off a high of that. Not that he's never bad. Not that he's ever bad, but he was great in that. So You mentioned That's- Outlaw King, which is, I think, a really good, uh, instructive comparison because that is that was Netflix and this movie is also going to be Netflix. And I feel like in a way that like Outlaw King felt like second or third tier Netflix this year because Roma was such a big thing. And even after Roma, there was like Buster Scruggs felt like the B-team movie for Netflix. And then there was everything else, including stuff like Private Life, which I would have loved to have gotten more attention than it did. Yeah. Um, I feel like The King sitting on the bench behind The Irishman, which is the Scorsese movie for Netflix. They also have The Laundromat, which is Soderbergh doing the Panama Papers. Which, by the way, can we talk about the fact that Meryl Streep was in the the Pentagon Papers movie with Spielberg and now the Panama Papers movie with Soderbergh? <laughs> <laughs> Believe in the stars, Joe, folks. You, you guys like, can't see it, but Joe is connecting things with brain. red string <laughs> yes. on, a, on a bulletin I just board. want galaxy brain on yeah. everybody. Um, and they also have The Last Thing He Wanted, which is D. Reese's movie after Mudbound, which is Anne Hathaway and Ben Affleck, I want to say. So, like, The King... I feel like has a lot of internal competition within Netflix to sort of like become a movie that they're going to push for Oscar, even if it's good. Yeah, I look forward to six months from now being furious on behalf of something like Private Life not getting promoted by Netflix enough. It's, well, that, it's inevitable. That'll be the Noah Baumbach movie, maybe. That, uh, sure. In Noah Baumbach fashion, he won't give a title to until like the week before it opens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Richard, make your lightning round pick. This is a this is kind of a shot in the dark, but you know, uh, a Fox Searchlight movie that's kind of a black comedy did well the last year in the favorite. So I have my eye on Taika Waititi's movie Jojo Rabbit, uh, yeah. which is set during you know the Holocaust essentially. Yeah. Um, and and, you know, has Thomas and McKenzie, you mentioned, Katie, hey. Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, Taika Waititi himself is in it. I think that after Thor Ragnarok, people are like, this is his movie, could be his movie to sort of break into a sort of new echelon out of the sort of quirky, like, you know, film nerd, you know, fan yeah. into something more into something broader. And I don't know how funny it's going to be versus how serious. Right. You can't be full funny, I don't right. think, with that topic. Well, but. and I don't want to, like, not to do my Mike Hogan impersonation and predict that somebody plays Hitler when they don't play Hitler. Because remember, <laughs> remember when Mike thought that, that Ben Mendelsohn played Hitler in yeah. Darkest Hour? It was not a sure bad It's prediction. not a bad one. I think I read that Taika Waititi is playing Adolf Hitler yeah, there's, in that movie. There's photos, there's photos of him. Okay. okay, so it could be like a real comedy versus it's like gonna a be, It's going to be a, a comedy, but I think it's going to be, um, like maybe it gets like a screenwriting thing. It's not going to be like Boy, which I think is his most serious sort of film, but it might be closer to like Come for the Wilder People, which is a comedy but has a lot of poignancy to it. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, you know, like like the favorites of comedy, that did well. Inglorious Bastards is arguably comedy, that did well. You know, so uh, about a similarly tough subject. So anyway, that's the one I'm, I'm very curious about. Great. Uh, Joe, what, what's the last thing you want to bring up? So I have a little bit of a two-header here. Uh, films from foreign language directors who, well, 
So one of them is from Chloe Zhao, whose last film was a writer, which was not foreign language, but she's uh, coming from sort of outside the studio system. She's got a movie with Frances McDormand coming out this year. It's called Nomadland. It's uh, Frances McDormand and David Strathairn. It is also a Fox Searchlight movie. And it is about a woman who lost her job in the Great Recession. And uh, the plot description says, embarks upon a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad, which feels very... Like, Francis can do that. Like, I feel yeah, like I have Chloe faith in Zhao and very Francis. Very, Macon. both of that. And I feel like Francis having just won the Oscar, we sometimes see that sort of like halo nomination of you're, you know, you're very much on everybody's radar. So you get that sort of follow up nomination a year or two later that you're not going to win for it, but everybody is happy to have you in the conversation. I think the other one that, I sort of twin with that movie is called The Truth. It is the, uh, I think this is the English language debut for uh, Hirokazu Koreeda, who directed Shoplifters. And this one is Ethan Hawke, Juliette Binoche, Catherine Deneuve. I think it's Binoche and Deneuve play a mother and daughter. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of a contentious, uh, the mother was an actress. Deneuve so is playing the mother who was an actress and Binoche plays her daughter. And they have this sort of like, apparently, you know, contentious and sort of long history of, you know, conflict between them, obviously. So I'm ex- I don't know how you can't be excited for that. You know well, what I mean? And sp- speaking of, you know, like uh, people who have been like Renee Zellweger, who've been out of the, the awards conversation for a long time in certain ways, like Julia Binoche, like, yeah. you know, is an Oscar winner who absolutely in supporting actress, same as Zellweger around the same time. Uh, well, yeah. I guess maybe a little bit earlier. But anyway, yeah, I think that's a good one to keep an and eye And Catherine Deneuve, whose only Oscar nomination came uh, back in 1992. So, like, that's an, you know, oh. you talk about, like, the Banderas thing. Like, there's a, there's a comeback narrative. Though you do wonder with Deneuve, like, the, oh, the Me Too stuff was not great. Well, I was going to say, like, is she, like, every year there's a French actress who pulls it. Like, every year <laughs> you put a microphone in front of them and you're off to the races already. But, yeah, so I don't know. Those two maybe more as acting nominee plays than, you know, Best Picture contenders. But I've got my eye on the both of them for sure. All right, Joanna, throw one more on the pile. Uh, Sam Mendes, 1917. Yeah. Like, why not, right? A war, a war movie? This used to be our bread and butter Oscars. Uh, but it's got George McKay, who I really love, who's great and Captain Fantastic and a number of other things. And Dean Charles Chapman, uh, who maybe is the only actor in all of history to ever die twice on Game of Thrones. Dear sweet so, Tommen. Wait, wait yeah. which one? Oh, he's Tommen. Tommen, and before that, he was a random Lannister. Facts about Game of Thrones. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is Sam Mendy's first post-Bond movie. Yeah, he's he's out of the Bond uh, jail. Not that, not that you know, it's deeply unpleasant. But, you know, he's stuck in a franchise for a while. So here he is. He's back. And Those golden handcuffs of the Bond series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wonder about this, though. Will, will, it, how, will it be greeted as like, oh, so Nolan had to go into Dunkirk and now you have this? <laughs> right. Okay. Right, right, right. Like, right. Sure thing, Sam. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder. I mean, I know they're about very different wars. Well, not very different, but like different wars. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, I mean, Joanna, you're right to point that out. I mean, that's a big movie that's coming out this year. Yeah. That was December 1st, it's set for. So, yeah, I feel like anything in December, we should... A big Toronto premiere, maybe? Yeah, that mm. sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds about right. And, Ro- and Roland Emmerich has his Midway movie coming, too. So the yeah. Dunkirk uh, children keep coming down Yeah, it's pipe. about a young blonde <laughs> twink experiencing <laughs> air combat. 
Okay, let's end this by making our best picture predictions a year in advance. Ooh. As history has told us, this never turns out well for us. Uh, Except for Katie. I, uh, yeah, well, so I want to go first because so none of you can steal mine because I've, I've got this down to a science. I'm picking something with someone playing a famous person with enough makeup to get attention. I'm going with It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It's actually not as big a transformation as uh, Christian Bale as Dick Cheney or um, Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill, but it seems like the closest to this formula that I've developed. So Mariel Heller and Tom Hanks and Mr. Rogers, they're going all the way. Uh, Joe, you go next. Okay, I'm going to actually mention a movie we haven't talked about yet. Um, and it's a little bit of reverse psychology in that I'm kind of dreading this movie. But <laughs> I feel like maybe if I throw a prediction out for it, it'll not – I don't want to jinx any movie. But, like, uh, you know, I'm covering my bases. If I get this wrong, I won't feel too bad. Uh, which is The Irishman. It's Martin Scorsese's mm-hmm. movie. It's, it feels like, if for nothing else, then it's the fact that he is Martin Scorsese, that this is the movie Netflix is already sort of gearing up for to be their Roma of 2019. They're going to oh, put a lot Oh, you mean airing of, an ad for it during the Oscars isn't yeah. enough of an indication of yeah, how much yeah, they believe yeah, yeah. in it? Yeah, exactly. So, like, they're going to spend a lot of money on this. And I feel like from that alone, unless there is this, like, giant concentrated pushback against it, which, you know, is harder to pull off than it seems. I think it's going to be, at the very least, it's sort of like, it reminds me very much of the lead up to The Wolf of Wall Street, where I'm just like, can this movie just get here already? For God's sake, I'm so like, I just want to get past it and and get to the point where we're on the other side of it. But then I realized it's just like, oh no, I'm like, my feelings of fatigue for Scorsese and De Niro aren't everybody's feelings. And this will probably end up being if not a Best Picture nominee, then like a strong contender for it. De Niro in Best Actor feels like a thing that will probably happen. And if Netflix is going to be the, you know, now awards contender that they seem to, you know, be intent on being, this is going to be the movie to do that. So that's my prediction that it's going to get be a... Does it matter at all to you that they're not going to Cannes this year? Does that feel like it matters at all? Eh, it didn't matter for Roma. Okay. I get what you're saying. I get, you know, it, it still feels like Netflix is being othered in the, or is othering itself in the film community, but I think it has so many other ways to get attention. Yeah, when they have movies like from Scorsese or Cuarón that you can't ignore, uh, yeah. they find a way to sneak in. Joanna, what's your pick? You know what? Let's just go with my heart. And I'm going to say, even though there's we know nothing about it, and uh, history has not... Oscar's not looked kindly on this filmmaker. Ryan Johnson knives out. I don't know. I'm just going to That put seems it out there. fun. It seems like it's going to be, yeah. if nothing else, a really fun movie. Oh, just so fun. Sort of like... Um, a mystery. Yeah, uh, a murder mystery. Who doesn't love that except for Murder on the Orient Express, which is really bad. But, you know, <laughs> that wasn't Craig, Ryan Johnson. Chris Evans, Tony Collette, yes. Jimmy Lee Curtis. I'm super Ryan- into it. Wait, so yeah, you've got the two blockbuster stars who have publicly uh, expressed yes. disdain for their characters finally getting out. <laughs> Everyone wanting out of their... It's Ryan, Chris, and Daniel being like, fuck franchise filmmaking. Here we go. We're making this. What so. if this is an under wraps and we don't find out until the week before, like a Clue remake that we don't know about until right before Holy it opens? Then, it, then when it would be called like Candlesticks Out. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> rope out. Right. Lead pipes out. Wrench yeah. out. <laughs> 
Fana out in the UK. Uh, okay, Richard, uh, wrap us up. What's your prediction? Well, I'm tempted to say the Aeronauts, which is about Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones trapped in a hot air balloon yes. because that would be hysterical. Um, <laughs> that could be your new uh, the the mountain between us, where it's just like yeah. Oh, do have, they do have, they do it in that? Do basket? they do it in that? Basket? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I've got one post ready for yep. <laughs> fall 2019. Um, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go against my my uh, groaning and say uh, Little Women. Ah, I think that you, story is beloved. I think it's a great cast. People yeah. like Gerwig. Yeah. If it's, Wait, what's that? I flagged it. You negged it, and then you took it. I see how it is. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, or also, I could say, and I'm cheating, but like Little Women will be my official one. But um, in in the spirit of of feeling kind of despondent about. <laughs> um, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, Rocket Man. <laughs> uh, I yeah. was wondering if we were going to get to Rocket Man. I Rocket like Man. Rocket Man. To me, looks good. I don't know if that's good. foolish. Yeah, I'm. I'm really excited yeah. about Rocket Man in a way I did not feel about Bohemian Rhapsody, but I don't know if that's uh, foolish. My thing with Rocket Man is I don't understand why people don't have all the same worries about that movie that they did with Bohemian Rhapsody because it's because Taron because Taron's actually singing and also I think they're doing a sort of surreal kind of Julie Taymor-esque. It's not just like a straight whatever Bohemian Rhapsody was. You know what I mean? I hope hope to be proven wrong. I deeply hope to be proven wrong. Well, it's coming out, I believe, on Richard's birthday. So uh, we'll all go for Richard's birthday. If if, Mm -hmm. if nothing else, I'm, you know, Oscar nomination for Taron Edgerton. Let's make it happen. I also do do want to throw out there, because we didn't mention it and we should, uh, Cynthia Erivo playing Harriet Tubman in uh, Harriet, directed by Casey Lemons. Super excited for that. I think Cynthia Erivo is a movie star. She's already a star of Broadway, and I think she's a major movie star in the making. And I think we saw sparks of that in Widows and in even, like, Bad Times at the El Royale. But, like... This is this is a big opportunity for her to break out big. Although the fact that I believe it's her and Leslie Adam Jr. and Janelle Monet and it's not a musical is making me slightly crazy. Yeah, that's a decent <laughs> point. That's a decent point. Uh, maybe they'll find a way to sneak some uh, some music in there. Yeah. Um, okay, we talked about a lot of things. Let's just go back to recap for making fun of ourselves next year. I went with It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Joe went with The Irishman. Joanna went with Knives Out. And Richard went with Little Women. I get it right? Yes. Yes. All right. And when we have Mike back, we'll force him to make a prediction too so he yes. can share in our shame. The uh, aeronauts, Mike. <laughs> the aeronauts, do it. <laughs> do it. Get it and step that in his brain. Um, well, Joe, uh, we'll have you back next year to look oh. back on all of this uh, with laughter and shame. I look uh, forward to it. Thank you for being our guide, as always. And yeah, plug your podcast before I wrap things up. Yeah, uh, it's called This Had Oscar Buzz. It's me and my co-host, Chris File. Every week, we talk about a different movie that was hyped for Oscar in one way or another, and it didn't happen. Um, The episode that just went up last night was for The Gift, the Sam Raimi movie that was part of the Kate Blanchett post-Elizabeth Oscar buzz wave, where everything she made after Elizabeth, everybody was like, this is the one she's going to win for, and it didn't happen forever. Um, we have a lot of fun on it. I feel like if you like Little Gold Men, I think it'd be right up your alley. So go check it out. The Twitter handle is at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Um, yeah, go subscribe. It's great. I would subscribe it. to it. Yeah. Well, you can find the rest of us at VanityFair.com, and uh, we're on the Little Gold Men Twitter feed at Little Gold Men. Uh, and you can find us all on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich, Joanna. Joe Rothis. And Richard. The Aeronauts, at the Aeronauts. <laughs> Sex, underscore, in, underscore, right. basket. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Joe, uh, your personal Twitter feed, too. Yeah, it's uh, Joe Reed, Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. 
This episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best description of how we'll be talking about cats this time next year goes to Joe Reed. We kept trying to slam the door on that movie, and it just kept just being like, like stuck its foot in the corner, and it was just like, nope, it's still there. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.